All right, good morning. Let's go ahead and get started this morning. Um, we have a couple of announcements. One, you probably saw the table sitting in, in the back there. Uh, that is for our special offering that we're taking up this week and next week. Um, that goes to the help office. So please just pray and, and seek the Lord's guidance as to what he'd have you give uh, in, in that direction. That's a, a good ministry. It's something that Diane Estes really keeps up with, and she works there and uh, helps a lot of people in our community. I know that recently they've had some of their funding cut a little bit. They've lost some of the money that they had coming in from other places, uh, so they're more dependent on churches and, and donations. So if the Lord would lead you to give to that, uh, you could do that this week or, or next week. Um, also, just be in prayer this week. Of course, our kids, our younger kids just got back from Schaefer this week, but our youth are leaving today, and I'm going with them, so pray for me and pray for Pam especially. We'll, we'll need prayers, but uh, uh, do pray for the children as well, the, the young people, I should say, uh, as this is just a week of spending time in God's Word with God's people and being challenged in different ways, and uh, the testimony of so many is that God has spoken and worked in their lives at church camp, and so we want to pray that that might be the case for some of our young people. Uh, we prayed last Wednesday night for that. Uh, also, just remember that we do have our, our Wednesday night prayer meeting this week. Uh, we're just focusing on prayer in these times. We're, they're just prayer meetings. We're not doing a Bible study through the summer. Uh, we'll start that later in, in the summer, I should say, but uh, this week will just be a, a prayer meeting. And uh, we had a good meeting last week, and I just encourage you, we're, we're talking about today, uh, the early church, that they continued in prayer together. And so we need to pray as, as a church. We need God's grace. We need to, God to be at work. And so uh, God works through, through prayer. So make that an important part of, of your life as well. If y'all would open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. This is actually, 2 Corinthians one twenty was our theme verse at camp, at the kids' camp last week, and it was... Uh, Man, it was awesome, so you're going to get a part of that this morning, and uh, man, we've been talking a lot. When we look at the function of the church, I mean, y'all y'all are missing something. If y'all don't come to Sunday school and get to hear that, and just some of the ministries, we've got camps going on. This morning, Tina told us, you know, we had given, just our Sunday school had given over $600 to the backpack program. I mean, every part of this church is serving a function and is meeting needs and is shepherding and discipling the, the people of God, and y'all are part of that. So, I mean, I'd like to welcome y'all to all of this and, and, and be, you know, in touch with our prayer meetings and our Sunday school and just to see the work of God. And, uh, and this morning, uh, this scripture reading sort of shows that steadfast um, relationship that God plays in each one of these roles. Um, so I'm just going to begin in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, and I'll begin in verse 18 and read through verse 22, if y'all would follow along with me. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why through him that we utter our amen to God 
for His glory. And it's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's an awesome promise. That's a promise in a promise that unifies every one of us sitting here who's in Christ today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Today we are a people united around this Christ, Jesus. Lord, I pray for this service, Lord, that each one of us feels that unity, that community that we have as we gather in praise around the name that is above every name. Lord, as we come and submit and tithe and offering to the ministries of uh, throughout this church, Father, as, as we gather in prayer over the many uh, services of, of, uh, that happen in camp and, and, uh, and the needs of the church, the prayers of, of, uh, over the sick, the needy, over those who are anxious. Father, as we gather together, finding the yes in all of your promises as preached faithfully from, from your word to us. Lord, we ask your blessing in all of this. Lord, that we would see uh, the yes this morning that's in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I also pray if anyone has never seen this, has never experienced uh, th this yes, has never known the many promises of God that are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you open their heart this morning. Lord, that they see the faithfulness distributed in your people here this morning. Lord, they could not resist the grace of God displayed through Christ in his church. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostles' Creed says that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Certainly God is um, the Father of all creation in the general sense, but uh, we come to experience and know the, the fatherhood of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are adopted and we are made sons and daughters in that unique and special way. And I hope all of you uh, have experienced that and know that God is indeed your father. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, our father in heaven. We do pray, Lord, that your name would be hallowed. We pray Lord, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, that as we give this offering this morning, that this would be a means of bringing about and accomplishing that purpose. We pray that your name would be hallowed. So we pray, Lord, that as we give, that the, this money would be used to sustain the ministry of this church and that it would be uh, given as well to the missionaries that we support uh, so that people all around the world would come to know you as their father, that, that people all around this world would, would come to hallow, to reverence your holy name. We pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us to be generous givers. Lord, help us to keep the end and the purpose in mind why we're giving, and, and as a result, Lord, to give generously and, and to do it with joyous hearts. Lord, we know that you, you don't like when people give in a grudging way. 
that. So we just pray that you would work in our hearts in that way. Bless us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts 2.42. After you get there, if you would, uh, just take a second and let's stand up. And uh, I want to encourage you. We're going to have a little time of greeting here, but I just want to encourage you, don't just greet people that you know and that you always talk to, but just take a minute and talk to somebody that you don't usually talk to, maybe somebody that you don't already know. So let's take a minute and do that. All right, we're going to go ahead and come back to order now. All right, Acts chapter 2. And uh, children can be dismissed. If they didn't get out before now, they can be dismissed at this time. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and they devoted themselves, this is the early church under the leadership of the apostles, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And our mission statement, which we are trying to really just make a, a, a vital part of our, our lives here as a, a community of believers as a church, uh, but our, our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in community. And, uh, you know, you stop and you really think about that. Uh, if, if, you, if you have thought through that statement before, some might wonder uh, why we add that little word, those two little words on the end of that sentence there, that we exist to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in community. Why do we say in community? Uh, if you really think, is this central to, the, to our mission? Couldn't we just put a period after we exist to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ, period, and that be the end of our mission? Why do we say that this growing disciples needs to happen in the atmosphere or in the context of community? Well, the answer to this question is not found in human wisdom. This is not something that church strategists have, have come up with. This is not something that we've decided to do in response to polls that we've taken or uh, what other churches, leading churches in our denomination are doing. That's not the, the, the goal of this. This isn't something that Jared and Vance and myself just sat down and we came up with uh, something that sounded good and, and sounded trendy to us. Uh, when we say... Uh, or the reason we say that we exist to grow disciples of Jesus Christ in community is because when we look to the New Testament and we look to the, the, the early church in the book of Acts and we look to the letters written by the apostles and we look at the New Testament church in the Bible, we see community happening. We see fellowship happening. And that is precisely why we have included that. The, the early church, under the leadership of the apostles, I believe provides a pattern for us. You see, we're, we're, not, uh, uh, we're not at liberty just to design the church however we want to, to, to have the programs and the purpose that we want to have. When we seek to see what, what, the, what is the mission of the church, what is the purpose we better be going to the Word of God and specifically to the New Testament to find what is our purpose here. 
Now, I said the, the example of the early church and the New Testament. Why is the example of the early church so important to us? And this is an important part. This isn't the central part of our message this morning. But, but why do we look to the book of Acts and say, look what they're doing. We need to do that. Why, why, why aren't we free to say, well, that's how they did it then. But we are 2,000 years later now. And maybe we need to re-engineer the church and think about doing things in a different way. Well, I think the, the Bible teaches uh, that the church is built upon, Paul says in Ephesians, it's built upon uh, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Our church, the, what we believe, the way that we even uh, go about having church, so to speak, uh, is built on the teaching and the example of the apostles. Why, why is that the case? Well, that is the case because Jesus himself, who we are Christians, we follow Jesus Christ, taught those first apostles uh, and gave them instructions. And not only did he instruct them in a unique and a special way for three and a half years, but he also promised that after he was resurrected and after he ascended back into heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit that would do something unique in their lives. The Holy Spirit, he said, would lead them and guide them into all truth. And so you see this in John 16. There's two passages, but in John 16, uh, verse 12, Jesus says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So that's John 16, verses 12 through 14. There's also John 14, another promise, similar promise, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I am with you. I'm here right now in, in my earthly ministry. I've spoken these things. I've taught you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And listen to this and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is saying, look, I've been here with you. I've been teaching you. I'm going to be resurrected and then I'm going to ascend back into heaven. But don't worry, when I go to heaven, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. And not only that, but he will bring to remembrance the things that I have taught to you. And that is why we believe the apostles were inspired in a unique way. That is why when we look to the New Testament, we don't look at the New Testament just like these are good suggestions or that's kind of like their version of Christianity and we're at liberty maybe, you know, uh, two millennia later to, to re-engineer it and think about it differently. No, we have a deposit of truth, Jude says. We have a, a body of truth that's been handed down to us and it is our responsibility not to re-engineer it or rethink it or reimagine it in, in our 21st century culture. Our, our aim and our goal is to see what they believed and what they taught and what they practiced and for us to put it into practice in our day and time. And so when we say uh, that we look to the book of Acts and we see the church under the apostles' leadership and that they had a close fellowship, that they had rich, deep community in the body of Christ and therefore we ought to be devoted to that we ought to have that that is because we believe their teaching and their example is authoritative for us even 2,000 years later and so each point of our mission statement 
has real purpose and it comes directly from the Word of God. We, we are here, our purpose is to glorify God. That's the ultimate purpose. That's why you are here. That's, that's, that's the purpose of every believer's life is that we are, exist to glorify God. How do we do that? What is the, the means of accomplishing that? Well, the ultimate and the primary way that we do that uh, is by making disciples of Jesus Christ, leading people to know Christ, to experience him, to, to experience salvation through him, and then to grow in their Christian faith. We, we know that the Great Commission is our ultimate purpose as a church and even as individuals. So we exist to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ, but then the context, how does that happen? What does that look like? It happens in community. And again, we see that in the New Testament. When we look at the letters of the apostles, we look at their examples, we see deep, rich community. Now that word, you might say, well, that word community, I don't even see that in the Bible. Where are you coming up with this word community? Well, community in, in kind of common usage sometimes can mean like the place, you know, where you grew up. I grew up in this community, or it can mean that you're part of a group of people, like I belong to the scientific community. Uh, but as it's being used, I think somewhat more broadly in our culture, uh, it, it's being used somewhat to describe what we might call a close-knit community. We might add that little uh, descriptor there, a close-knit community, uh, meaning there's deep, meaningful relationships. Not that you just broadly belong to some group. I belong to this community. But, but in that community, there are rich and deep and life-giving kind of, uh, of relationships that are occurring. Now, when we come to the New Testament, the word that we do find so often in Acts and throughout the, the New Testament is the word fellowship. But in church life, fellowship has sort of been denigrated. It's kind of been devalued just to mean those few times that we happen to get together and have a fellowship meal in the fellowship hall. And so we've kind of devalued the word fellowship, and, and that's why we're, we're using the word community. But, but fellowship is this idea of a shared experience. Literally, it, it has the idea of participating together in something. And as believers, the thing in which we participate together in is our shared experience of Jesus Christ. What is it that unites us? What is it that brings us together and creates these relationships within the church? Well, it is our relationship to Jesus Christ himself. And that's what we're seeing in, in this text. You see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoted to this. When we look to the New Testament church, we see this, uh, what kind of community we ought to have. And I think these, each one of these is part of an essential ingredient. Each one of these is an essential ingredient to church life. We have uh, the apostles teaching, and then we have fellowship and breaking of bread, and then prayers. So we see that these are essential ingredients. Now, uh, verse 42, uh, we, we see that they devoted themselves to these things. It doesn't just say that they happened to practice these things sometimes, that, you know, when they had opportunity uh, or kind of on the side, they would do these things once in a while, but that they devoted themselves to these things, to the apostles' teaching, to, to uh, fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. That word means to persist 
in adherence to a thing, to persist in it, to be intently engaged in it, to attend constantly to that thing. So these were things, these activities made up the life of the church. And, and here again is where I'm saying like we don't have the freedom as a church just to say, well, what do we want to give our time to? What do we want to give our money and our resources to? What do we want to do? Let's just recreate everything. Let's reimagine what would work in our community. The, certainly there are unique applications of these things in different areas and different cultures, but, but here are the essential building blocks of the life of the church. This is what we are to be doing. This is what we are to be devoted to in the New Testament church, to, first of all, the apostles' teaching and, and doctrine. The, the New Testament church was devoted to doctrine. Now, again, in our day and time, people say, I don't like doctrine. I don't, I don't like teaching. I don't, I don't want to be devoted to that. It doesn't really matter what you believe or what I believe. Let's just get together and we just have love for one another and, and forget about doctrine, forget about teaching. But the early church was devoted, and not just to any teaching, but they were devoted to the teaching or the doctrine of the apostles. Again, I won't rehash all of that, but the, the, the teaching of the apostles was so important because they had, they had divine inspiration given to them by the Holy Spirit who was sent from Jesus Christ to lead them into all truth and to bring to remembrance all that Jesus had taught them during his earthly ministry. And so Jude 1 verse 3 says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. See, in the New Testament, we have the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. I don't get to put Andrew Hunt epistle as an addendum to this in which I reimagine the New Testament faith as I reimagine Christianity in the 21st century. This is what I think we ought to do. This is the way that the things I think that we ought to change. No, when it comes to Christianity, it is a faith that has once for all time been delivered by the hand of the apostles through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and through the teaching of Jesus Christ. You know, the Christian faith is a faith about truth. We can't not say, we cannot say that we don't care about doctrine or that we don't love doctrine or that it's un, unimportant. The Christian faith is a faith that is built primarily on truth. Even, even the idea of faith, faith is belief in something. And you, you got to stop and ask the question, right? What is it that you believe? And the moment you begin to say, this is what I believe, that's doctrine, that is teaching. And so it's, it's of paramount importance. We're saved, the Bible says, we're saved by faith. But what is the content of that faith? What is it that we, uh, what is it that we believe in? What is it that we're trusting in? We see that even in the life of Jesus, I'm getting off the a rabbit trail here, but even in the life of Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus taught that doctrine was very important. You say, well, how so? Well, he taught that eternal life, eternal life was dependent upon their acceptance of him as the Messiah, as the son of God. Like that's really important. Your eternal destiny matters on whether you believe that Jesus is the son of God or not. Jesus taught that. And so Doctrine is of paramount importance. Here at Union Baptist, over six years, you know, it's almost been six years now. August will be six years that I've been here, right? Yeah, I have to ask Bonnie because I'm terrible with remembering dates. And uh, 
you all do remember that at our last anniversary, I, I got the how many years we had been married wrong. So, uh, but six years. And over those six years, as I came in to the church here, my emphasis was just this, like, Truth is so important. Biblical doctrine is so important. And as you look at the evangelical world largely, you see that so many people have so many varied and crazy ideas about what they believe that's not rooted in the apostles' teaching. It's just rooted in whatever the culture of the day thinks is, is important. And so we've sought to just make the Bible the, the bedrock and the foundation and the apostles' doctrine, just to be the heartbeat of this church. And we've, we have sought to devote ourselves to that. But notice that's not all there is. And I'm going to say more about that in just a minute. That's not all there is. They were devoted also to fellowship. They were devoted also to fellowship. Fellowship is this sweet friendship. It is a sweet friendship created by our shared experience of Jesus Christ. And just like they were devoted to the right doctrine, to the right beliefs, to the apostles' teaching, they were just as devoted to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And that's the next thing, to the breaking of bread. This could be a, a term that would denote just general meals together, just the fact that they were sharing common meals together. Uh, some think that this is directly talking about the Lord's Supper uh, because the breaking of bread, they, they had bread and wine, and that, that's a specific reference in in Luke's writing to uh, the, the Lord's Supper. I don't think it's either or. I really think it's both because the Lord's Supper for them happened in the context of a fellowship meal. And so when they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, it was a meal that they had that included the Lord's Supper as well. We see that in Corinthians uh, that, that they were having a, a, a meal. This was not just sort of a, like we've made it just this religious ceremony that we go through, but for them it was not, so it was a meal. Uh, and in that meal, they took time to remember the Lord, his body and, and his blood, and to observe the Lord's supper. They were devoted also to prayer. We did a while back now a series on why you should come to Wednesday night prayer meeting, but again, I'll just highlight this. You should be here this Wednesday night. I will not be here because I'll be, with the kids at camp, but ordinarily I would be. But you should be at Wednesday night prayer meeting because the early church devoted themselves to prayer. And so it's important. Uh, and I'm not going to go off on that. But, but we do see that they prayed together. This was not just prayer, individual prayer, private prayer. That certainly is important. That is a, an integral part of church life as, as individuals. But certainly Acts 1.14, on the day of Pentecost, when Pentecost occurred, they were in the upper room, Acts 1.14, praying together with the women, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers. They were together when the Holy Spirit fell in power on the day of Pentecost. They were praying. They prayed together when Peter was put in jail and, and they didn't know what was going to happen. Is Peter going to be crucified like, like Jesus was? Uh, but, but Peter, they, they prayed earnestly for him. Acts 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And we know that they were together because Peter, the Lord answers their prayer and frees Peter from prison, from the jail cell. And he goes where they're meeting for this prayer meeting and he starts knocking on the door and somebody's like, oh, they're interrupting our prayer. Somebody go get the door. And it's Peter that they've been praying would be delivered from jail. 
that would be quite a, a prayer meeting. And maybe if we were more attentive to prayer in the life of this church, maybe we would see great acts of God like that. Great acts of God like occurred on the day of Pentecost. So these things are what are essential to the life of the church. What should we be doing as a church? Well, we should be devoting ourselves to the teaching of the apostles about who Jesus was, what it means to be saved, all of those things. We should devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We should devote ourselves to this fellowship, which includes even meals and the Lord's Supper, and we should devote ourselves to prayer. Now, I want to say something here because I have, I think... All of us, we as pastors and as a church, we have so tried to emphasize the preaching of truth, the, the, the central role, especially in our day and time where nobody seems to care about truth. We have tried to emphasize uh, the word. We want to be a word-centered ministry. We want to be focused on the teaching of the apostles. I think we've done so much of that that at times we may have neglected to focus on fellowship as well. It doesn't have to be either or. I think it has to be both. But, but I think we've, our attention and our focus has been so much on the word that we have neglected fellowship. And I think we need to correct that. Fellowship, I think, is, is missing and lacking, or at least lacking in a significant way in our church. And here's the reality. You can be an unhealthy church in different ways. My, my big concern is that we're not believing the truth, that we don't that we really don't understand what the faith once for all delivered to the saints is. And, and that's been a big concern of mine. But, but at the same time, we can be healthy in other ways. And one of the ways that we can be unhealthy is that we don't exhibit the kind of love that we are to have. And that love is exhibited through fellowship within the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that even if I have all knowledge... Even if I have all knowledge, like we could have all of our doctrine right, church. We could believe everything precisely right. Uh, we, we, we could get Pam even to believe in, in an all-millennial view of the second coming. And everybody would be right then, and, and we would all be good. And uh, that's kind of an inside joke there. But, but uh, we, we could get all that worked out and have all of the details. But Paul says, even if I have all knowledge... But if I have not love, I am nothing. Church, we can have all the right doctrinal statements if we don't have love that's exhibited through a close fellowship, a community of believers. We're nothing. We are nothing. In the book of Revelation, the church is warned that the, the Lord will come and remove his presence from that church, not because they don't know the truth or because they've started teaching some heretical view, but because they have left the love that they had at first. So we want to correct this imbalance and I hope you know and I hope you know we do different sermon series at different times and different phases of the life of the church but this series that we're in right now I don't want this just to be a phase. I don't want this just to be a six or eight week sermon series and we move on and we forget about the importance of fellowship. By God's grace, I'm not going to allow us to do that. I'm going to continue to bring, and Jared and Vance will continue to bring this before you as a people because I think we are not the church that we ought to be precisely at this point. So we as a church want to be a church that, like the early church, is devoted to biblical fellowship. Now, Let's look at some uh, characteristics of this fellowship or this community that the early church had. Community or, or fellowship really, in a word, is family-like. It is family-like. You know, in the, in the New Testament, the most often word 
that is used to describe believers in Jesus Christ as brother or brother and sister. That's the, that's the most common word. One person said this. This is a lengthy, lengthy quote, but I want to read from it because I think it's in, insightful. It says, The reality of our brotherly and sisterly relationship supersaturates the New Testament. Although the New Testament writers use different images to describe the nature of the church, like the body or the bride, the temple, the flock, the most frequent is the family, particularly the fraternal aspect of the family, brethren. The first Christians always referred to one another as brother or sister. The terms brother, brethren, brother, or sister occur some 250 times throughout the New Testament. He goes on to say this, the reason for this preference for the family aspect of the church is obvious. Only the most intimate of human relationships can begin to express the love, closeness, privileges, and new relationships that exist between God and man and man and man because of Christ's incarnation and death. In many practical ways, the local church is the new, in the New Testament shows itself to be a close-knit family of brothers and sisters. And I think this idea of being brothers and sisters, this idea of being a close-knit family is really what we want to be. When, when his brothers and sisters come and get him as he's teaching and they say, look, your mother and your brother and sisters are here. And, and Jesus looks around at the people who are listening to his teaching. And it, it says this in Matthew 12, 49, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brother. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He, he redefines, as we talked about last week, he redefines the nature of the family. He's saying, look, there's, there's relationship, especially in this culture where, where uh, you know, family was the preeminent relationship. I mean, this superseded everything. And Jesus is saying here, I'm reordering that. There, there are relationships that should be even deeper than family relationships, and that, are, that is those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. That is, these are my brothers and sisters. We saw also in Ephesians 2.19 that we're part of the household of God. We're part of the household of God. And so the church is to be family-like. That is not just some pie-in-the-sky kind of ideal. That's kind of what we ought to be striving for here at, at Union Baptist Church. We ought to be church is supposed to be. And the modern church has fallen away from this. We have failed to devote ourselves, like the early church, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Biblical community greets like family. We greet like family, uh, meaning we greet one another. When you look at the New Testament, it's kind of a funny command uh, but we see in Romans 6, 16, or 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. We see it again in 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another with the kiss of love. And so we really need more kissing going on around here. Uh, well, that's not the exact application. Uh, we don't want to be spreading stuff around. And uh, we even see, uh, I'm not going down that rabbit trail, but... Uh, I think what this calls for is that in culturally appropriate ways, we need a warm greeting to one another. So, so don't miss the forest for the trees while we don't kiss. That, that was their common uh, kind of greeting that they gave one another in that culture. Some cultures even still do it, the kiss on the cheek, you know. That was their warm greeting. I'm so glad to see you. 
and, and, and that kind of, in our culture, it might be a hug. Some of you are like, nope, it's not a hug either. Mike, Mike Gaynor is like, no way, no hugs. Uh, some of you might just be a, a look in the eyes. I'm so glad to see you, brother, sister, and a handshake and a conversation. But the command here, I think the, 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 the baseline command, whatever that culturally appropriate way of warmly greeting one another, the command is that we are to do that. We should warmly greet our brothers and sisters. And I think uh, maybe, maybe you don't have those warm feelings for one another. You say, well, I can't really be fake. I can't, but, but you know, oftentimes our actions or, or our actions change our attitude. When we do what we're supposed to do, our attitude follows. When we begin to greet people warmly, even people that we don't know so well, and we're, we're making sure that we're talking to people and we're looking at them in the eyes and greeting them with a warm greeting, sometimes the feelings come from that as we begin to engage one another in, in conversation. You know, the church, and this is some of what we're seeing here, the church should not be like the workplace or like, you know, just the community out at large. You know, we, we are becoming increasingly as a society just disconnected from one another. We're on our phones, we're in our cars, we're, you know, we, we pay, we, we pump gas, we do it by ourselves. We're, we're in, increasingly just, everything's individualized and we're cut off from, from other people. And so we just walk by people all the time. We just walk by them at work. We walk by them in the community and we don't greet one another. The church should not be that way. We ought to be offering warm greetings. Look around here. You know, if you've been here for, let's say, six months to a year, you ought to know these people by now because you ought to be greeting them every week. You ought to be seeing them. You ought to be engaging them in conversation. This is a command in Scripture. You don't have to kiss anyone in this church. But if you fail to greet them in a warm spirit of love, then you are sinning. You are disobeying this command. And I think that's what we need to, uh, to, to strive for. We need to gr warmly greet one another. But biblical community, and let, let me just say this as well, it's, it is like family. You know, again, it, that's where, where we get this idea of being like family. Like when I see my family, we just went and we're able to have uh, a little bit of a vacation time with them in Gatlinburg and seeing my brothers and sisters. I mean, I see them, I give them a hug. It's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. That's like family. That's, that's what you all probably do with your families. That's what we ought to be like with one another. We should be delighted to see our brothers and sisters in Christ. But biblical community not only greets like family, but it eats like family. It eats like family. You know, fellowship went hand in hand with eating meals. We even see that uh, in this passage here because the, these four characteristics of the early church, I really think could be kind of boiled down to three because I think when it says they continued in fellowship and in breaking of bread, I really think those two things just go hand in hand. They're, they're one and the same. They go hand in hand. Fellowship goes with breaking of bread. And I think that, that's what we see uh, Acts 20 verse 11 uh, we see that that all the time the early church was eating together they were eating meals together Paul had preached in Acts chapter 20 so long that somebody fell out of the window because they fell asleep and Paul resurrected them but but even after that it says Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eating he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed these meals, these fellowship meals, this breaking of bread, that happened in homes. They didn't have a church building. 
It says that they would go to the temple. There were certain religious things that they would go for prayer at the temple. Uh, but, but so many of their meetings were meals that they had in people's homes. And they devoted themselves to that. This fellowship then that they had, the, the fellowship that they devoted themselves to was built on the foundation of of hospitality. Many of the churches we see in Romans 16, 5 and other places, they were meeting in someone's home. And there are, we're, we're going to look at this in the weeks to come, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this right now. We're going to talk about hospitality, but, but, but there are so many commands in the New Testament to practice hospitality. Even pastors, one of the qualifications to be a pastor, it says that, that he must be hospitable. And so we as a church need to practice hospitality because it's, it's only in that context. It's only in the context of, of hospitality and meeting together to, to break bread together and to share meals together. It's only in that context that real fellowship's going to happen. It's only in that context that this kind of family-like community is going to be built. Alexander Strzok said, said this. He said, unless we open our doors, the doors of our homes to one another, the reality of the local church as a close-knit family of loving brothers and sisters is only a theory. And I would, I would echo that this morning. We can talk about this. I can preach for the next 20 years about community and fellowship, and the family-like kind of atmosphere that we ought to have as a New Testament church. I can do that all day long, but unless we begin to practice hospitality, unless we begin to open the doors of our homes and invite our brothers and sisters in, just like we do with our family, unless we begin to do that and share meals together and share significant time outside of these four walls, that kind of Family-like atmosphere is not going to be a reality. And so, biblical community eats like family. And then one final thing this morning, biblical community shares like family. We see this in verses 44 and 45 of our, our text here, which I am no longer in for some reason. So let me turn back there. Acts chapter 2. Verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and, all, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I've heard so many preachers get up and say, now we know that the early church did this, but we don't have to do that. And, and I would agree in a sense that there is a certain application to that. But again, just like the kiss that we're commanded to give. I think there's a principle behind that. Are we all directly commanded to, to sell all of our possessions and to give them away? Well, maybe, but, but I think the principle that, that lies behind this example is that we're so close as a family that when we see somebody in need, we do what we, what we need to do in order to help meet that need. Some of you have children who are grown and and you may not have done it with a willing spirit or you may not have done it with a great deal of joy in your heart, but you've shelled out a lot of money for them. 
in different ways and at different times, getting them out of different jams because you love them. They're your children. They're your family. And so you help them. And that's what we see in this New Testament church is that their relationships were so strong that they saw people in need. They're willing to sell their junk. They didn't have to have storage units and build bigger garages, right? Uh, they sold their stuff so that they could give to the needs. It wasn't just selling it so they could live a communal lifestyle. That's, that's not what's going on here. This was not some kind of communal lifestyle. But they were selling their stuff because this brother doesn't have enough to eat this week. His crop didn't come in. There was a problem here. And so I'm going to sell this extra that I have so that I can help meet this brother or this sister's need. And that's, I think, again, I think this is something that we ought to do as well. This is not something that is just an example that's like, oh, yeah, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. Uh, I think that we ought to be so close that we ought to love, love one another so deeply that as we see brothers and sisters in need, we act to meet that. And sometimes that requires us giving up things that we wouldn't otherwise give up. We see this in Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. There's a command. Contribute to the needs of the saints. If you see a brother or sister, that command tells you to contribute to their need. Acts chapter 6, we see that they're giving a daily distribution of food to, to widows who are in need. And so I think that's we, what we are called to as well. These are some of the contours, some of the, the definition to the kind of community that we're talking about. This is what we want to strive for, this fellowship, this closeness, this family-like relationship within the body of Christ that is, that is so near and dear that we're eating together, we're, we're sharing together as, as any have, have, have needs. We're opening our doors to one another. And I want to continue to pray, and I'm going to continue to press us in this direction and I pray that the spirit of God would make this a reality in our church pray with me our heavenly father we come to you this morning and we do ask Lord that you would help us be devoted to fellowship Lord we've tried to be faithful to to come once again and and to renew our devotion over the past several years to your word and to faithfully uphold the the teaching of the apostles to devote ourselves to that Lord but but we've seen now an area that we have been neglectful in, and uh, we are not loving one another as we ought. We, we are not, as Jesus said, known by our love for one another. We're not practicing hospitality. We're not contributing to the needs uh, as we see them. We're, we're not the kind of community that we ought to be. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant that Union Baptist Church would begin to reflect this biblical pattern that we find I pray that you bring conviction on each one of us where, where our thoughts go immediately to our selfish desires and protecting what's ours and our family and our time. Lord, I pray that you just bring conviction in all of those areas and that you, you would work in such a way that you would just make us glad and generous participants in this kind of community. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.